Welcome to Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast, the show where we seek to uncover what leadership means in today's world. I'm Joe Hart, CEO of Dale Carnegie, and we will be talking to diverse leaders with stories to tell across various industries to help unlock your potential for success. We will be sharing real life insights into leadership, which in turn can help spark the next level of your growth as a leader. Today's guest is a tenacious and fearless leader with an entrepreneurial spirit who has led several growth opportunities for a well-known Fortune 500 food and beverage company. A driving force in building iconic organizational initiatives from the ground up, she offers a wealth of experience in corporate community building, philanthropy, publicity, and governmental policy. We are thrilled to welcome former Constellation Brands executive and philanthropist and the current executive director of the prestigious Sands Family Foundation, Ginny Clark. Ginny, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for being with me today. Wonderful to see you too, Joe. Thank you for asking me. Really looking forward to the conversation. You and I have had a chance to talk in the past and you've had a really impressive career, trailblazing career in so many ways, and would love to have you talk a little bit about that and some of the lessons that you've had along the way. But just give us a little bit of background about, you know, who is Ginny Clark and how did you get where you are today? Yeah, great. Thanks, Joe. So Ginny Clark grew up in a little town in Canandaigua, New York, went to school there. My first real job, I managed a travel agency for about 18 years. I was very passionate about travel, traveled a lot, and wanted to run an agency. Interestingly enough, it led me to Constellation and then on to where I am today. Talk about Constellation. What is Constellation? A very well-known company, but maybe not by that name. So talk about what Constellation is and what they do. Constellation started as a small little wine company that was started in 1945 in upstate New York. Just a small little wine company. And today, you may know it better as Constellation Brands, which is a very large wine, beer, and spirits company, one of the largest in the world. We're about a $34 billion market cap company. And I was fortunate to join the ranks of Constellation in the late 90s and uh, had my career there for about 21 years. Just recently retired, quote unquote, from Constellation and moved into the family office, the Sands family office. And I am their executive director of their foundation and work on some other great projects along with the family as they give back into the communities. How did you go from running a travel agency for 18 years to being one of the top executives at a $34 billion company? As I said, I was very interested in travel, went to two years of school really for travel and decided I just wanted to get into the business. And as I did, I needed to bring on some business in order to make the travel agency profitable. And so one of the first people I met was Marvin Sands, who was the founder of Canandaigua Wine Company. And I asked Marvin, if I could uh, do his company's travel. And he said to me, Ginny, you know, I only have four people that travel. They drive a car and they stay in a motel and it's probably not going to be very lucrative for your business. And I said, well, we're in the same community. You know, can we be friends and, you know, can I do your business? And he said, sure, but you're just not going to make a lot of money from me. Fortunately for me, 18 years later, I was still doing their travel. The company had grown exponentially. Marvin's son had come in as CEO, Richard. I decided to go to Richard in the late 90s, went to him with a little business plan on how I could build the travel department within the corporate confines of Constellation. And he said to me, look, I know who you are. I know what you've done. 
We all think you're great, but I'm going to set you up with my best finance person. You show me how to save a quarter million dollars in the first year. And I'll let you build the travel department, whatever it is that you think we should have in the company. So he set me up with one of the finance folks and nine months later, she had gone to him with an analysis and said, look at Ginny saved the company a half a million dollars in nine months, probably one of the better deals we've ever had. It's probably not a bad idea. So that's really how I got my foot in the door, if you will, at Constellation. And I think that was a little insight on myself being in that industry for so long and recognizing it was probably going to change. I didn't know what that meant that it was going to change, but something in my mind and in my gut told me, you probably should move on and figure out how you're going to keep a job and, you know, take care of your family, et cetera, et cetera. So a fun story for sure. And that was really my step in. And from there, many things happened after that. I can't help but be struck by going back to the original conversation you had with Marvin Sands at the time the company was small. I mean, you're talking about a business that started from really nothing, right? And built up to $34 billion, but you were networking. And sometimes people are uncomfortable with networking. Is that something that was always natural to you? Or what advice do you have for people about networking? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think as a kid, you know, I wasn't a very outgoing kid. I actually wasn't a great student per se. You know, in my early years, I really wasn't, it was afraid of my own self in many, many ways. And so I think as I grew older and as I became a mom, quite frankly, I realized how important relationships really are in managing your way through. You don't have to do it yourself. You don't have to do it by yourself. That's when it really probably hit me that building relationships and really reaching out, you know, can be a little scary, but it's actually quite liberating, quite honestly, to be able to build those relationships. And they become very fond of those. I go back and recall some of the times I had with Marvin and then obviously with Richard and then on to Rob as the CEO. And they're very valuable. I've learned so much through that time. It's great always to keep the mind open to learning. I just want to go back for a second because you said when you were younger, you were afraid of your own self and networking can be scary. A lot of people are scared. They may lack the confidence. How did you overcome the fear of yourself? How did you gain the confidence to start really reaching out? Maybe you were naturally an introvert and you kind of taught yourself to become more extroverted. How did you do that? I would honestly say that's exactly how it was, Joe. As I said, I wasn't a great student, so I hid behind my grades, if you will, and the ability to not actually have to talk a lot. And when I was actually in high school, I reached out to a teacher when I was having very difficult time in math. He actually, I would say, saw the same thing that I was struggling. And he offered to work with me one-on-one. And that started to build my own confidence with a teacher that reached out. I still remember his name, Richard Newfang. I believe that probably was a point, a turning point in my own, you know, self by having someone work with me one-on-one and I didn't have to be afraid, right? And I could be open. I could share my concerns. I could share my fears. It allowed me to actually learn better by trying to rid myself of that fear I remember him. He remembers me to this day as well. But I would say that was probably a turning point in reaching out and asking for help and getting help 
And then I thought, well, this isn't quite so bad. <laughs> this doesn't hurt. You know, this isn't quite so bad. And I think that was definitely a time in my life where I built some more confidence than I had in my own self. It seems like, too, that one person was almost kind of knocked over the first domino, so to speak. I mean, yep. it's the difference that a single person can make in our lives to really kind of lead us to understand and see our own confidence and to achieve things we might not have otherwise seen possible. Absolutely right. I believe that all day long. It's a lot about asking a question. It's not about I have something to give you and tell you how smart I am or what I can do. It's really about just bringing that relationship into you know, a formality where you listen a lot. Can I ask you about the asking for help part of this? Because sure. I can't help but think about some of my own kids who are late teens, early 20s. And sometimes I've had conversations. They don't want to ask people for help. And that's true of people in different stages of their career. They feel like I need to do it myself. Right. What did you realize or what have you realized in your career as you've asked? Sure. That? Or are there other times you've asked people for help where it's made a big difference in your career? I would say I've turned that into actually the exact opposite. I feel like I'm the one that needs to reach out and be helpful and be supportive. One of the greatest things I've thoroughly enjoyed, particularly working at Constellation, was we had the opportunity to have interns, to bring in interns and work with them for three months over the summer. I actually helped to start that program um, with our HR department. And <laughs> ironically, you can probably appreciate this. People are busy in corporate life and you know, you're moving on, there's acquisitions, so on and so forth. And while people say, I want to have an intern, it's that one thing to say, it's another thing to actually bring it to fruition. So as it would have it, we had seven interns and I was the only one that raised my hand to take on an intern. Well, I ended up taking on all seven and I figured I'll figure it out. I have some great opportunity here at Constellation. At that point in time, I was working in the community affairs. I had established the community affairs and public relations department. And I thought, this is great. I'll get these kids in here and you know we'll learn something. And I think what happens is in traditional school, whether it's grade school or secondary school, you know, we teach things that are, in my opinion, very siloed, a math, a science. And it's the same way in corporate world. You're in finance, you're in accounting, you're in whatever those departments are. And very seldom do they cross over until you have to do it. And all of a sudden you don't even know who your neighbor was that you're sitting there with. I felt that as I was in corporate world. And I thought these kids that are coming in, these interns that are coming in, I'm going to expose them to stuff that's going to feel anxious. They're going to feel nervous, but I'm going to throw them into this, right? I would do this with my own employees and say, look, it, I'm going to push you here. Okay. I got your back. Don't worry. I got your back, but you're going to have to do this. And I did this with these interns and it was some of the best times I ever had. And I took those interns on four or five, six each year for the remainder of my career there. But it was really teaching them, to your point, not be afraid. Take the risk, take the chance, but surround yourself with people that are going to support you. And you'll be okay. You really will. It's so true. And a lot of times going back, people are afraid to ask for help. My experience is that when I've asked for help, people have been delighted to offer help. In school with professors, it was early in a career, whether it was asking someone to be my mentor mm -hmm. or to help. And so many people have helped me in my life. And any nervousness I might have had about asking them 
usually went away because people helped them and they wanted to pay it forward. And absolutely, me, I want to pay it forward and people ask you. So absolutely. It's a great feeling to do that. It is that trepidation that you have to ask and you realize people really do want to help, but we don't ask, right? We're afraid to ask. It's a fear of failure. It's a fear of somebody's going to think I'm stupid, whatever's your own personal self. And actually, if you can do it, it becomes natural. It's a good feeling. And so you want to play that good feeling over and over in the rest of your life. No, I I completely agree. It's almost like we talk about taking command and it's painful for me sometimes to know that people, we can hold ourselves back with these fears that really, they might be logical in a sense, but they're not real. That's right. That's exactly right. And we tell ourselves stories. Many times we tell ourselves stories that just are not true. You know, surrounding yourself with good people, people that you can trust and holding on to those relationships. You never know. I've said this many times. Don't slam a door. You never know. You may not get along with someone. You may disagree with the outcome of a situation, but being respectful is a huge quality and you never know. You might really need that person (laughs) at some other point in time. It's not worth the aggravation and being ungrateful is just not a good thing to do. It's not. And so many people can lose sight of that and burn a bridge or say something. I keep thinking about the Dale Carnegie principles, all about relationships and really just about treating people, even people we might have an issue with or people might not treat us well ourselves and we have to stand up for ourselves, but to be respectful, to demonstrate appreciation where that's appropriate, to try to avoid unnecessary argument. Everything in life comes down to relationships and connections. We're totally. working together and so forth. It sounds like that's what you're experiencing. It is. And your book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, is a fantastic example of that. I enjoyed reading that before this interview as well and made me smile. And, you know, I gave myself a thumbs up every once in a while. And it's very relevant. Little pat in the back. You said, yeah, hey, absolutely. I've been doing that one. I'm not so bad <laughs> that I thought. No, it was great. It's great reading. Going back to Constellation, because sure. your career trajectory is really pretty cool. You know, yeah. you started your own travel agency, you took a chance and kind of grew that, and then you went into Constellation and you got to the very highest levels at mm-hmm. Constellation. We'd love to hear yeah. a little bit more about that career and any kind of insights you'd have for people, especially who are trying to grow their career and advance the way that you advanced and talk about the role that you were in before you retired from Constellation and moved on to SANS. Yeah. You know, I think one thing I would say is, you know, being a female in a very male dominated business, beverage alcohol, weren't a lot of females, quite honestly, that were at an executive level. They said it was the late nineties when I went into Constellation. I was one of few women that actually had, I'm going to say a voice. I learned how to use that voice properly. Okay. Especially around, you know, very strong men, if you will. I learned an awful lot from that. And a lot of that is really about listening as well, but it gave me the opportunity to be very entrepreneurial. And I would say both the Sands brothers and back to their dad extremely entrepreneurial, extremely giving, thoughtful family. I learned some of that from them, quite frankly. You know, it felt good. The things that I would be involved in, it felt very good. And so I was given the opportunity many times to go do what you think you need to do to make us a better company. And so shortly after, you know, I built the travel department in there, literally, and I say shortly, I don't even think it was two years, 
Richard had come to me and said, look it, we're going to change the name of the company. We were Canandaigua Brands at the time. The investor relations department is doing that. And he was very incensed that Wall Street called us Dog Food. And he was very incensed with that and decided we were going to change the name. And he said, we don't have anybody in PR. Go work with those people in investor relations and see what you can do to help them along. And shortly thereafter, and I became involved with that group, hence truly Constellation Brands became the name. We work with Fortune Brands out of New York City to come up with that name. And at that point, he and our chief HR person at the time decided, geez, maybe we ought to have like a communications department, right? And you would think like we would have that. It was a very scrappy company. And I think that's what gave us the strength, quite frankly, because you had people that were entrepreneurial and they just did whatever needed to be done. That was the next step was I created a communications and PR group within the company. I don't have a PR background. I don't have a communications background, but it was about building relationships and bringing people that do know that space together and build out a strategy and a plan to really go forward. And it became the partner to investor relations, right? Investor relations to tell the finance story all day long on Wall Street. But what's the story? Who are we? Why are we who we are? That became a really fun time in my career as well to really marry in with investor relations and start to tell a great story with a new name and et cetera. And employees just fell in love with it. They all of a sudden were now communicating out in a way that just made people gravitate. And I think that was a step in a very positive direction for the company as well. The story became a verbal story as much as it was a black and white story. Well, I can't help but be struck as I think about your career progression. You took over this role, you're building out this communication PR for a major brand. Exactly. And without really the formal experience to do that, how did you feel? Did you have any kind of crisis of confidence or did you say, you know, I'm going to figure it out? I thought this is pretty cool. I'm going to figure out how to do this. Right. And these are the things that came along. A lot of it, it made sense to me. The concept of we should have this conceptually, it was God, we need this. Okay. I can help do this. I can make that happen. I don't know how, but I'm going to figure it out. And it really was, and I say this even today in the things that I do, I love the opportunity to sort of jump in and try to figure it out. You know, there's something euphoric for me personally that I do enjoy that, but I also know I've created, it goes back to relationships. I've created relationships along the way, and I wasn't afraid to pick up a phone. And even within Constellation, I had made fast friends, if you will, colleagues, and you just sort of figure it out. <laughs> There's a lot of comfort in that, isn't there? I mean, I think when we get caught up with, gosh, what if it's not going to work? Are we hand-wringing and that type of thing? But when you know, I'll figure it out. Or if I can't do it myself, I'll find someone who can help bring them in here. There's just a lot of freedom in that. Yeah, there is. And I think people get stymied. I go back to, if you work in, you know, a box and that's all you know, you can become very protected, very safe in that box of whatever that acumen is that, you know, I feel I live in the gray all the time. I feel like my life is gray. It's not black. It's not white. Okay. It's just gray. And it's actually a happy space to be because you allow yourself the freedom to think outside the box 
if you're sitting over here and it's got to be black and white, and if it doesn't add up on a piece of paper at the end of the day, you failed. I refuse to believe that's possible. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take risks along the way. I will say I am a risk taker, but I'm a very mitigated risk taker and make sure I have people around me when you're ready to take the jump. <laughs> Was there a time where you took a risk, maybe a big risk, and it did not work out? And if so, what did you learn from that experience? What was that experience like? That's a good question. I haven't thought of it that way. And maybe I haven't thought of it because I refuse to think about it. <laughs> Many of the risks that I've taken have been hard risks, right? For instance, CMAC. So this is a Constellation Brands, Marvin Sands Performing Arts Center. There was a big risk to take with that. And that was a community effort that the family and Constellation wanted to build in Canandaigua and to give back to the community. And Marvin had started that back in the early 80s. It went to hell in a handbasket and we decided to rebuild it in 2005. And I think what actually happened for me there was I was asked to partner in, create a not-for-profit. I didn't know how to create a not-for-profit, but I knew lawyers and I knew people I could help get that started. What had happened along the way was we built it. Fantastic $13.5 million project. We built it in nine months. We didn't want to let the season go. Hired another company to actually run it. And sadly, it lost a million dollars the first year. I was done. I did my little construction project. I was very happy with the outcome. And Richard wrote a check for a million dollars and said, Ginny, you go figure it out. Build a different business model figure out how that's going to be profitable. And that scared the living daylights out of me. I was like, this is a real business. Like, what am I going to do? I mean, seriously, I was scared to death. I really was scared to death, but not scared enough to not do it. Just scared. <laughs> and I had built some tremendous relationships within the company at that time through all different departments. And so I grabbed two three females that were actually good colleagues, one a lawyer, one finance, and the other in PR. And I decided, okay, we're going to figure out how to do this, right? Fortunately, it's still operating today, 16 years later, and it hasn't lost one penny since we put it in place. I went back to school <laughs> and I uh, finished my master's and used that as my capstone project. But I was trying to build a model along, you know, with my colleagues on this, but I had to get the operations in my head. Like, how are we going to do this and make this be something that wasn't like the amphitheater an hour down the road, which is what made this actually unsuccessful in the first place. How would you define leadership? If you were to define leadership in a sentence or two, what would that sound like? I honestly believe leadership is a lot of listening, quite honestly. You have to be a strong listener and you have to care about the people that you're working with. And I think you have to deeply care about ensuring their success. If you ensure their success, you pay it forward, right? As a leader, I think that's part of our innate responsibility as leaders. It's not about ourselves. It's really about the people that you bring to the table, the team that you put together, and making them successful. That's the greatest happiness that I get, whether it was those interns that I work with or whether it was the team that I worked with at Constellation. 
bringing people together. That's the value I bring to the table. It's not those silos that I said, which are important. They need to sit at the table and getting them to work together around a table is actually leadership. Quite frankly, that is leadership. There's a little bit of a paradox around leadership. Sometimes people think of a leader as a strong, determined, command and control, you do this and so forth. And yet I found, I think just as you explained, that it's really so much more about helping leaders become stronger leaders and really bringing people together and getting them to work together toward great outcomes. Yes. If we're going to work together, I have three rules, trust, respect, and communication. And by the way, you have to leave your ego at the door. And if we can do that, it's amazing what happens. And we won't let each other fail. We just won't. You know, we can disagree, but we can't allow someone at that table to fail. If you decided you want to join this team and you want to be a part of it, then we have to support each other. It's non-negotiable. <laughs> I want to go back to something you mentioned. I wrote this down and I've been wanting to get back to this question. It goes to you talking about learning how to use your voice properly. You were talking about as you started as a female leader in a male-dominated area, not a lot of other female senior leaders, what would be an example of that? What does that mean to you? And what does it mean to use your voice properly? Yeah, I can remember sitting around, you know, being invited into a boardroom. I wasn't quite sure why I was there, but I knew I'd figure it out somewhere along the line. It was just like, Jenny, just, you know, we need you to come into this meeting. As I learned what was happening around the table. It was around an acquisition and it was a communications role at that particular time. I listened a whole lot. I totally listened and saying less many times is more. And, you know, when I say use your voice properly, it's not about being the loudest voice in the room. It's not about, I can show you how to do this better, smarter, cheaper, whatever that is. It's really about listening and just adding value when it's the right time to add value. And I think if you listen, you know when it's time to properly use your voice. If you don't listen and you're constantly waiting to say what you think is the smartest thing to say or whatever that is, you're missing what's going on and you lose the opportunity to actually be impactful and make a difference. We see that sometimes Sometimes people will dominate a conversation. Other people will feel like, okay, were you really listening to what we were just saying? I've been in teams where there's certain people, they're quiet, but when they speak up, it's like, wow, that's a valuable, insightful contribution. And that's actually exactly what happens. There's always that person that's held back or stepped back for whatever reason. They usually make the best contributions at the end of the day. You've really, Ginny, learned in your life so much about relationships. We've talked a lot about how that's really been kind of like your superpower, so to speak. Yeah. What other advice would you have for people sure. about how to build and maintain strong relationships? I'll tell you a quick little story around that. The last part of my career at Constellation, Rob Sands was then CEO and he came into my office at that point, I was running the public affairs side of the business. So really the communications, PR, and community affairs side. And he said, hey, our uh, government relations guy, he's retiring. He's been here for 43 years. And you're going to take over government relations. I looked at him and I said, what in the world are you talking about? Well, you'll figure it out. You're just going to figure it out. 
And I said, well, then I got to get rid of some of this other stuff. He said, no, you don't need to get rid of anything else. You can do it all. It's fine. If you need to hire somebody, you can hire somebody, but you need to take on government relations. So learning, and again, trying to gain knowledge around what were the issues that the company had that, you know, I needed to be apprised of. That was a big turning point for me as a whole total shift in what I sort of knew, so to speak, right? I was worried about speaking properly, knowing what the issues were. 18 months later, and Trump was elected and we bought a cannabis business. And, you know, our biggest issue was trying to get cannabis legalized, if you will. I say a biggest issue, but it was an issue that was top on our mind. And going to DC, I knew nobody. I knew no one. I really had minimal relationships. And the person that had retired, I think this is typical in public policy world, right? Those relationships, people feel very, very protected with those relationships. Those are my relationships. I'm friends with so-and-so and so-and-so. And I didn't have a lot of mentoring in that. And I had to make those and build those relationships myself. And I remember being on the Hill and having people say to me, who are you? Why have we never heard of this company before? Why don't we know who you are? You know, and I was talking about cannabis and it was really a wonderful opportunity. I thoroughly enjoyed that last part of my career. I wish we had gotten cannabis legalized. Unfortunately, we didn't, but it was building those relationships at that level that really was an interesting time. Well, you've retired from Constellation, you're now at Sands. What excites you the most about what you're doing right now or really even about the future? Sure. I tell you that some of the fun stuff that I get to do now is the G3, so the next generation, are learning about philanthropy, practicing it. They're really being educated around it and how to take your wealth and really be impactful with it. And that's a ton of fun for me. I've known these kids since they were really little kids. It's a lot of fun. I feel very ingratiated by the family and very respected by the family as well. It's a lot of fun working with that group of kids. I say kids, they're in their late thirties, early forties, but a lot of fun doing that. And I hope that, you know, I'm able to share some of the stories that both Rob and Richard, their dads have done, because I think some of that got lost along the way. And, you know, third party telling those stories feels a little bit better than your dad telling you the story, right? <laughs> Somebody else giving the pat on the back is a little better than giving yourself the pat on the back. So I have a lot of fun working with the family in that respect. It sounds like you're doing something that you really enjoy and you're making yeah. a contribution both in philanthropy and community and that type of thing. Yeah. Any final words of advice to our podcast, Take Command listeners? I would just say, truly, I know we talked a lot about relationships, but it can't be said enough. It is really to me, the most critical thing we can do, whether it's in business, whether it's in your own personal life, building really trusted, honest relationships and working with teams. When you're working in with teams, making sure to respect and uh, trust those that are around the table. We don't always know as much as we think we know. And um, those relationships will hold solid for you as time goes on. Great parting words of wisdom from someone who really has earned the right, as we'd say in Dale Carnegie, to talk about relationships. It's been something that's fueled your career. Thank you, Ginny, so much for being with me today. And I look forward to your continued success. Great, Joe. Just a tremendous pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do and what Dale Carnegie does to help others grow their careers too. So thank you so much. Really a tremendous pleasure working with you. 
I hope you enjoyed this edition of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast. Check out our resources page at www.dalecarnegie.com for more research, insight, and tools that will support your success in taking command of your leadership potential. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating it and subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us at the next episode of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast.